So today we're talking about, uh, we're continuing our series about values and we're looking at God's presence and family. We're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. And I'm hoping at the conclusion of this message, if we have time to share seven ways that family is like nachos. Seven ways the family is like nachos. You can go ahead and write that one down at the bottom of your page. Second Samuel, chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David, that's being King David, was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Father, this is your word to us. We ask that you would teach us and guide us. That you would help us to revere you better, more holy, more fully. And you would help us to appreciate what we have in one another more. In Jesus' name, amen. What an intense passage, isn't it? It is. Actually, if you start 2 Samuel chapter 6, you see that they've got 30,000 uh, 30, people selected. And they've come out. These men have come out and they're celebrating and they're having this parade as the Ark of the Covenant comes in. And they're, they're celebrating. So there's all this jubilee. The Ark of the Lord's coming in after being gone for 70 years. And they're celebrating and they're so excited. And then the ox stumbles. The cart shakes. Uzzah reaches out to stop it from falling on the ground. Seems like a good idea, right? And then God strikes him dead. And there's nothing to deflate a worship service like God striking people dead. Right, can you imagine like in the middle of the solo if Tim like just fell out? You know, that, that would empty things quickly. That's, you know, this is this roller coaster of fear. So God strikes out at Uzzah and then David strikes out at God. And then, you know, it's like so confused. And then they're like, just send him to, send him to Obed-Edom. And the God, the Ark of the Covenant is led over to Obed-Edom for several months where, where it lands. And it'd be easy to read this and to feel like, man, God is angry and vindictive and kind of overreacting, isn't he? Doesn't it feel like he's overreacting? God's been gone for 70 years. God was just trying to keep him from falling. You, you know, the, the presence of God. That has, the, the, the ark, actually, I'll talk about it in a second, but it is not God. It is, it is a symbol that represents the uh, place to worship God, but the ark was never supposed to be a thing that was actually worshiped. Inside of, the, inside of the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses. And with the Ark of the Covenant, they kept a staff that Moses had used and some manna in a jar to remind them of God's provision in God's, uh, God's life. It was, uh, the Israelites, they, they built this Ark as a sign of the covenant that they made with him. We did a series on the Ten Commandments 
uh, and we, we talked about, uh, about this covenant that God cut with man and, and where the Ten Commandments came. The Ten Commandments didn't just come out of nowhere. They were given as a part of a larger covenant that you see take place over several chapters of Scripture in the book of Exodus. And God gave them this ark to give them a place to worship that would symbolize the presence of God. And he gave very specific information about how it should be built. Do you guys have a, a picture of the ark back there? So the Ark of the Covenant um, looked, would look something like that. And it, um, in uh, Exodus 25, verses 12 through 14, God says this, You should cast four rings out of gold and put them on the four feet. Two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles and the rings through the sides of the Ark to carry it. And so you see it's very specifically designed for that. The top opens. The tablets are on the inside. There were instructions about how the cherubim and the angels on top should be to represent certain things. We won't get into any of the symbolism for time today. But it was, there was very specific instruction. And the Israelites at this time were nomadic. They were moving around and they were following God. And so they, they had to be able to move it. It wasn't built into a temple. It was moved and it was placed inside the tabernacle, which was a, which was a tent that they, they moved around with. But in order to move it, they put these, they put these uh, poles through. And God even gave instruction to that. He said, but to the sons of Kohath, he gave none because they were charged with the service of holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. So these, there were specific Levites, there were specific priests whose job it was to carry this around. There was a way to do it. And God was saying, hey, worshiping me, you can't just worship me any, any particular way you want. Don't just worship me the way you, you feel like worshiping me. We're in this covenant, we're in this agreement, and as a part of this agreement, I'm agreeing to be your God, and I'm going to provide for you and protect you and care for you and, and guarantee your safety, but your job is to worship me. And to let me be your God. Your job is to give me honor. Your job is to defer to my lordship and to my reign. And so this is how I want you to approach me and worship. And so they built this. And um, one of the ways, and it was supposed to be moved by carrying it. And in that we can kind of see this message that the gospel is something that's supposed to be carried by people, not, not things. The good news of God, the, the, the message of God is something that's supposed to be carried by you and me. It can't be carried by any other vessel. There's no other thing satisfactory enough to carry the message of Scripture but man. When the priests weren't carrying it, it was held in the holies of holies in the tabernacle. And it spent its time there except for, uh, for this period of time where it was stolen by the Philistines after a battle where they presumptuously took it into battle and, and it, was, it was stolen away by the Philistines and it was gone for a number of years. And then it, and then it lived in another man's house when it came back. And then uh, the home of Obed-Edom the Gittite, as found in this passage. Uh, after David would, would pass away, his son Solomon would build a temple and it would go in the temple for some period of time. And, and now we're, we're not sure where it is, but the best, the best theories are that it's in Ethiopia, Come on, Ethiopia. You got Eob. Shout out. The ark had been missing from the people of Israel for nearly 70 years. Uh, and you see how the ark was taken back in 1 Samuel. 
chapter 5, it says, The Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the temple of Dagon and set it by Dagon. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I describe it, but it's just kind of funny. He says, When the people of uh, Ashdod rose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its faith, face, to fallen on its face before on the earth before the ark of the Lord. Then they took Dagon and set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon falling on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor anybody who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. So basically, they stole this Ark of the Covenant and their God their, that they had built from their own hands because the Ark wasn't the Israelites' God. Remember, it was a source of uh, a place of worship, but it represented the, the presence of God. And this, this other uh, all idol just kept falling. I, I just think it's hilarious. I'm like, God got some trash talk in there. He's like, he could have just eliminated it, right? He could have just caught it on fire. He could have just vanished it. But instead, he's like, I'm going to knock it over. I'm going to knock it over and break its hands off. I'm like, that is, <laughs> that is wonderful. It's just the trash talk in the Bible can be really amusing. Um, you know, Elisha or Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal, right? He's like, hey, what's the matter? You got to go to the bathroom. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, uh, anyway. Uh, later on, later on, everybody starts getting sick because of this, this Ark of the Philistine or this Ark of the Covenant. Everybody starts getting sick and boils are breaking out and they're like, this is terrible. I, I, we don't want this here anymore. Get it out of here. This is ruining our life. And I will tell you, the presence of God will either ruin your life or make your life. It will either cause you great levels of conviction which brings repentance, right? The conviction that's like, man, I got to change. And then, it, but if you resist that change, if you turn from that change, it, it begins to, to wear on you and it'll break you down. It'll, it'll, it'll cause all sorts of things, depression and, and you like, just like, or just more of yourself. Like I'm going to be more resilient and rely more on myself. And that doesn't bear the greatest fruit because what man can pick himself up? Like literally speaking, what man can pick himself up? No one. But we think that we can somehow right our unrighteousness. So they were like, let's get this thing out of here. And the priests, and, and uh, they, they go to their priests and they're like, we got to get this thing out of here. Everybody's getting sick and they're dying. We, I, we do not want this Ark of the Covenant here anymore. And so they go to their, their priests who were pagan priests and they came up with a way to move it back to the city of David. They found a way to give it back to the Israelites. They're like, hey, let's make a brand new cart because we don't want to upset God. Let's make it new. Let's get these milk cows. Let's separate the calves from them and let's pull it on a cart and we'll take it to them that way. It's the most honorable way they could think to do it. And so they, they take it and it gets most of the way back to, um, back to the city of David and it stops at this house and, um, and, it, and it stays there for some time and the, David's like, it's time for the Ark of the Covenant to come back into the city. It's time for the ark of God and for worship to take place in its proper place at the proper time. And so let's go get this thing. And that's where he gets the party started. And they all go and they get it and they rush. They got it on the cart. They got the, they got the cow and they're like, let's go. There was only one problem. They forgot to see if there was a way that they should approach God. 
they forgot to go back and seek out the instructions that God had given about how they should worship him. They were doing what they thought was best. But it wasn't right. Now, David is a man after God's own heart. Right? He is, he is a remarkable man. The promise was made to him that, that Jesus would come in his line. The Messiah would come from the line of David, from his descendants. He, he's, a, he's an amazing man, but he didn't always get it right. And they, you know, they, they didn't go back and seek out the instructions that were there for them. It was written down. It was available to them. And it's kind of like me and Ikea furniture. I got it. I know what to do. I want this bookshelf. I'm going to throw it together. I I don't need no instructions, directions. I know how to get there. I'm a man. (laughs) So they end up, what they end up doing is they end up copying the way the Philistines had done it. They end up modeling their worship after the way that the world was doing it. It worked. It got the ark that far. So we could just take it the rest of the way. And we need to be very, very careful that we don't accidentally worship the way the world would worship. Well, that's what they do. So we should do the same things. We should do it the same way. Now, there's a lot of freedom and there's a lot of liberty in Christ. And, and we, don't, we don't have an ark of the covenant. We don't have to make sacrifices at different intervals because Jesus is the great sacrifice. We don't have priests go before us to make sacrifices on our behalf because Jesus is the great high priest who went before us. So all we have to do is go to Jesus. I don't stand between you and God. And I know for some of us, we come from different backgrounds and that might be a new thought to you because you may have grown up in a tradition where there was a, there was a, a, a holy person who stood or a dedicated or consecrated person who stood and you had to go to that person to get access to God. But, but the, what we believe is that Jesus is the one who gives us access to the Father. Amen. God himself gives us access to God himself. I just get to get you excited about it. My job as a pastor is just to remind you about it and maybe help you fight, figure out how to get there. Maybe figure out how to remember who Jesus is or how to get to Jesus or, or what to say when you get to Jesus. Normally the answer is, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, sir. Sorry, sir. May I have another? Perhaps they were ignorant of the plan because they hadn't studied the law. They hadn't looked they, they didn't remember. They had been so long that the generations past didn't pass it down. And they just, they just didn't have the information and they were going off the best they had. Or they were just so excited that they forgot what they knew and they got ahead of themselves. You know, it's, it's like, don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do this. Don't forget milk. Don't forget milk. Don't forget milk. Don't forget, oh, steak's on sale. Right? Don't forget to worship the Ark of the Covenant this way. Worship this way. Worship this way. He's coming! <laughs> just, just, just forget. You got an audience with someone famous and you're like, you're so excited to get there and you know that you're supposed to say things in the right order and do the right things and you just get there and you're like, hey! Maybe you've never done that. <clears throat> I, I, have, uh, I know a guy who, who met President Obama uh, because he was really good at what he did. 
And when he walked in, he's like, hey, what's up? (laughs) And he's like, that was not what I wanted to say. You know, you've got this thing that you want to say, and then you get there and you do something completely different than you wanted to do. Maybe that's what happened. But talk about groupthink. Right? I I just wonder, who who didn't speak up? They needed that gluten-free friend we talked about two weeks ago. They needed that friend who is sensitive to the things of God and and could remind them and would speak up and say, hey, watch out. There's a way that we should approach God. The Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be carried by people, not by an ox, not by, not by ox and a new cart, not by any cart, not a gold leaf cart, not a maple cart, not an acacia cart. There's no cart that this thing should be carried on. God made it clear to us the way that he wants it carried, and it's on the shoulders of the Levites. Maybe they... I mean, this is worst case scenario, but I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. Maybe they thought they were going to improve on the system that God came up with. There's nothing in the text to tell us that that's what happened. I just, when I, when I look at it, like, how did they end up here? Maybe, maybe they were improving on it. They're like, yeah, so God has this carry thing, but we've designed a wheel. <laughs> he had us do this before there was wheels. So maybe we're really honoring him by using the wheels that we created. Craftsmanship couldn't hold up an ark back then. But we've perfected cart building. We make carts like none other. So we'll put the cart on here and we'll carry it and everything will be okay. We share this remarkable risk of adding to God's word because we're not confident that it's satisfactory enough. And we do it. We either take away or we add from it, right? So they either took away from it and said, no, that's not the important part. The important part is that we're reverent. So let's put it on a cart. So you can take away from it. We'll just be reverent. It's the spirit, not the law. (laughs) Rated R, PG-13. You know, it's (laughs) PG-13. You know, I I didn't, you know, I wasn't that drunk. Too close. Maybe so far, right? Or, or we add to it and we do things that are unnecessary. Like, okay, so we raise our hands and we, we raise our hands in worship. But now I'm going to shake my hand. Now, if your hand shakes legitimately, like, go ahead and let your hand shake. But don't fake it. We don't have to add anything to authentic worship. It was a terrible example. But we, we add things to it. It's like, okay, so, so we, we should, gosh, what should we do, JC? All the, I'm thinking of nothing but bad examples. What? What? You got to say, be bold. Oh, yeah, with praying. Yeah, so it's like, okay, so I'm going to pray. That's a good one, safe. Um, <laughs> we should pray. Right? We should pray. And so what we do is we add pray. You know, and it's like now I've got to like use a different voice when I pray. And you know, like a different vocabulary. Like I'd swift, I'm going to pray in King James. By the way, I did think it was funny as I was reading all this. I thought the King James is really a fun way to read the commands. 
You know, it's like, it just seems appropriate. Like, so I, I looked up the King James for the instructions for building the ark, you know, and it's like, thou shalt do this and, you know, shalt, shalt not. And I'm like, yeah, it's like authority, you know, but we, well, anyway, all I'm trying to say is we add. That's all I'm really trying to say. Make your own example. Don't add, don't add to what Jesus has done. That's all I'm trying to say. That's a, man, whew. I've got one. So we, we are saved by grace and through faith. We are made righteous by the work of Christ and nothing else, not by anything that we've done. And what we might try to do is say, Jesus saved me, but just in case, I'm going to go save a whole lot of puppies. Just in case, I'm going to recycle also. And at any time I see an old lady that needs to get across the street, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and walk her across because I just want to make sure I've got my bases covered in case Jesus dying isn't enough. So I'm going to give, I'm, I'm going to give more than, more than sometimes, more than I, I need to. I'm going to give maybe more than I even should. You ever been insecure about something? You always give more than you should when you're insecure about something. Because, you know, the $25 gift's not enough. That's why Secret Santa gift exchanges, they're the worst. You know, it's like a $25 limit, but I'm not very secure. So I'm like, but they're going to spend 30. I know they're going to spend 30. So I'm going to spend 31. And no, they're going to spend $32. And, you know, and like, you end up giving like a $50 gift. And, and it's like, why did I do that? Because I was insecure and I gave more than I needed to give. You know, and then, you know, they went to the Dollar Tree and got you a can of Spam because they thought it would be funny. And, <laughs> and you feel so silly. You're like, man, this gift giving thing's hard. Don't do more than Jesus is asking for is what I'm saying. But don't, don't make it so much less that you're not even doing what he's asked you to do. He calls us to live holy. He calls us to live consecrated lives, separate lives. So you can't be like, well, Jesus died, so I'm good. I'm going to go get drunk and watch these movies that I shouldn't be watching. You know, it's never been easier to get access to stuff that you don't need or shouldn't have in your life than it is now. But it, our struggle for these things is nothing new. I do wonder how it manifested itself like 5,000 years ago. Like what was there to struggle with? But they struggled nonetheless because humanity hasn't changed at all. The human condition is exactly the same as it was 5,000 years ago with exactly the same desperate need for a savior as it had 5,000 years ago. And you know what? If, we, if, the, if, if things keep going the way they're going now, it's going to be exactly the same in another 5,000 years. We could be taller or shorter or live longer or live shorter. We could have cancer or no cancer. But the human condition, who we are on the most inside of who we are is unchanged across all of time. Uzzah probably, we think there's, there's, and this is speculation, but that he was, he was related to the people whose home it was in. And he just drew, grew comfortable with the presence of God. He grew comfortable with, with these, these covenantal things and just got casual with it. Just got relaxed. Yeah. You know, we, we feel that way, you know, with, with, you know, you maybe with a new car, right? You feel real like I got to protect this thing from dents and dings. I'm going to park it way out there. My car's right now. I'm like, whatever, I'll just run it into the building. 
<laughs> it's all dented up. It, it, my, go ahead. You're like, run over my car. It doesn't even matter. You know, there was like, kids don't drink and eat in the car. Now I'm like, hey, pour out some of your milkshake. Just, you know, there's a spot you missed. <laughs> you know, like no gummy bears in the car because they melt all over everything. I'm like, now the car is a gummy bear. But you just get casual. You get comfortable with it. And maybe, maybe that's what happened with Uzzah. Whatever happened, he was presu- the whole thing was presumptuous. The whole thing was out of order. And then he reached out and he touched this thing that no man was supposed to touch. And we're like, God's so judgmental. He warned them. He gave them specific instruction. He reminds them of the specific instruction. He told them, study the law, read the law, remember this, remember this, pass it down, generation to generation, don't lose this, this is important, relate to me a certain way, and and they just, they let all, so that's where it fell apart, and then it falls apart, and then it falls apart, and then it falls apart, and he puts his hand on there, and then he's struck dead, and everybody's like, whoa. I mean, the fact that the Philistines were like, get this thing out of here, it's killing us. It should have been a pretty good indicator that maybe we should go back and figure out What's, how we're supposed to deal with this thing. But they were comfortable or excited or adding or taking away. All those things that we do. Everything else in life changes but God. His desire to be worshipped. And he chooses to be where he's going to be and he blesses who he blesses. You know, it's really interesting to see that Obed-Edom's house, it became a source of blessing for those three months that it was there. And what you see is you see the same thing producing very different results. I alluded to it earlier, but with one group of people, it produced death. But for people who treated it reverently, for people who treated it well, for people who honored the presence, the plan, the purposes of God, it produced blessing. How are you with the things of God? How are you with the presence of God? Do you, do you honor him and revere him? Or do you treat him casually and reject him? I'll tell you, I, I'll do the same. I'll do both of those in the same 10 minutes. And I'm desperate for God to change my heart so that I can be one stream flowing cleanly of worship and praise and adoration. So I can be one stream that just reveres him and is honoring to him. That's my hope for our congregation, that we would, we would honor and revere the presence of God and the things of God. So how is, what does any of this have to do with Family. And this is where Ken helped me. Because family is sacred to God too. Family is sacred to God. And he has a design and a purpose for family. When he created everything, he had a family in mind to multiply and take his image over the face of the earth. He chose family to be the vessel of his message he chose family to be the, mess, the, 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 the bearer of his reign and his rule on the earth. 
We put our hands on family when we let bitterness reign in our, in our own hearts and in our homes. We put our hands on family when we change the definition of it. We put our hands on family when we don't honor and respect and revere the, the, our mothers and our fathers. Honor your mother and father and it will be good for you. We put our hands on family when we look at our brothers and sisters and call them worthless or useless. We put our hands on family when we don't repent, when we've, when we've wronged someone else. Family sacred to God. And we need to approach the things of God with reverence and sincerity. King David would eventually go back and bring the Ark of the Covenant in according to God's plan. They would do it right. They did it right, right. And God's blessing came with it. Don't look at calamity in your life as the end of it. But take opportunity and look at the calamity of life and say, maybe God's trying to get my attention to show me that maybe I've been doing something out, out of his order, out of his way. And, and use that as an opportunity, a prompt, an impetus to, to bring you back and to say, no, I want to I do this God's way. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. That's your prompt. That's, that's, hands, on the, that's hands on the ark. Maybe, maybe you realize you're, you're fighting all the time and it's, and it's nasty in your home. That's, the hand, that's, that, that's that falling down dead next to the ark. And you gotta go, wait a second. We, we're not, God's presence brings blessing. This doesn't feel like blessing. Well, maybe, maybe we've lost track or lost sight of the way that God would have us do it. You wanna know seven ways? The family's like nachos. <laughs> Speaking of reverence. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. Uh-oh. Okay. It would be strange if they were all the same. It'd be weird if the nachos were, were, were uniform and exactly the same. And there's a certain beauty in the diversity on a plate of nachos. A single chip is not nachos. That's nacho. And that's sad. (laughs) You can't be a family by yourself. But when you've been a part of a family, even when you're by yourself, you're still a part of the family. There is too much thing as too much nachos time. (laughs) At one time, maybe I should say it that way. Sometimes a little bit away from nachos helps you appreciate them even more. (laughs) Every plate is different. While every nacho is different, you don't love one more than the other. Some taste particularly good at different times, but they're all delicious in their own way. And it's really the heat that makes them delicious. And it's the heat that ties them together. You know, a plate with, of chips with cold cheese and is not nachos. <laughs> cold cheese and raw bacon, <laughs> chives, 
sour cream, guacamole, like a, like a, like an avocado just sitting on top of that. Like, like that's not, the avocado doesn't need heat. So throw that out of the illustration back to just chips and cheese. But it's, it's when, it's when you've been through some stuff together that you're really, that you, that you really become something. You know, it's, it's, it's exciting for the guys and, and was it everybody? Oh, Gray. All right. So then um, Mike Woods and uh, who's, oh, Pedro. Where'd Pedro go? Pedro's serving somewhere. So um, it's exciting for them to join the church. What I'm, ex- what I'm most excited about is when we've been through some stuff together. And what they did this morning is they stood up and they said, hey, we're going to go through some stuff together. Like I'm signing up to fight with you. And I'm saying, I'm signing up to fight with you. And I can't wait until we turn around and be like, remember how tough that was? And God came through. That's when you've really been there, when the heat comes and you really become family. I said it already. We no longer send priests into worship on our behalf. We no longer need to make sacrifices at regular intervals because Jesus was our great sacrifice. And we don't need to rely on an ark as a place of worship because of what Jesus has done. We have access to the Father where we are and where we stand now. And that is the beautiful thing about the gospel is that Jesus made a way for us to be reunited with God and to be united with one another. Father, in the name of Jesus, Thank you for what you did for us.